Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. Well, hey, if you're fairly new to Central, I want you to know that we're currently uh, working our way through the book of Romans. Uh, All things being equal, pretty much every week, we're working our way verse by verse through some text of Scripture. So if you're a follower of Jesus, hopefully this gives more of a a rounded understanding of God's Word. If you're just exploring the claims of Jesus, not really sure where you land in your relationship with God, well, hopefully this will help you have a better understanding of what the Bible says uh, in various uh, parts of of Scripture. So we're in, in the book of Romans, which is arguably the most profound book in the entire New Testament. Uh, The book of Romans has done more to shape the church today than really any other book of the Bible. If it weren't for the book of Romans, uh, we would probably still have one one church, one universal church known as the the Catholic church, but it was men studying the book of Romans uh, that came to this place that said, you know what? I think salvation, the Bible teaches salvation, a right relationship with God is by grace through faith alone. And so it's not all these rules that I have to keep to have this right standing with God. It's not about all the sacraments that I have to keep to earn my way to God. No, no, no. Salvation is by grace through faith alone. And really the book of Romans is about that. It's all about salvation, how you can be made right with God. And what does that even mean? And so Romans has been unpacking that for us. Why should we be saved? What does that even mean to be saved? How do we attain salvation? What's the ramifications in our daily life? Like in a practical way this week, how does salvation make a difference? And so Romans chapter one and chapter two, Paul laid this foundation for us of our, of our broken human condition and our desperate need for a rescuer, a savior. And Paul's going to explain the, the magnitude of salvation uh, throughout these, these next chapters and how we can experience it. And so, so he goes on to say, like, like there's, there's this, this process, really this th- salvation is experienced in three different phases, we could say. Uh, first, there's justification. And Paul talks about that in Romans chapter three, four, and five. And over and over, you see Paul use this word justification, justification. So the moment you surrender your life to Jesus, you're justified. And we're going to talk about what that means. And then in Romans 6 and 7, Paul's going to talk to us about the second part of the salvation experience, which is sanctification. It's the process of we, we, we align our lives with Jesus. And as we do, we come alive spiritually. It's a beautiful thing. And then Romans chapter 8, Paul's going to talk to us about glorification, which is part of the, the salvation experience where for, for all of eternity, for a glorified eternity, we're going to worship a glorified Savior with glorified bodies. And it's going to be awesome. But all that's yours summed up in this one word, salvation. And so when we come to Romans chapter 6, we can see Romans chapter 6 broken down into two different sections. And again, Romans 6 and chapter 7 are talking about this sanctification process that we're in. And it's neatly broken down into these two two different uh, sections in this, this one chapter. But a proper understanding of justification leads to some questions. And we've been using this working definition of justification, and, and it's simply this. Justification is the act of God whereby he forgives the unsaved person's sin and credits to them, assigns to them, not their own righteousness, but the righteousness, the perfect righteousness of God. And all that's yours the moment you believe, the moment you put your faith in Jesus. And so a couple words stand out here. You might circle this word, word forgiven. You've been forgiven, past, present, and future. Like like the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your sin and transgressions from you. 
The Bible's going to say that, that, that you have right standing with God, not because of the good things you've done, but because in God's eyes, you're clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. You might circle that word right. You're righteous before God. Not because you've lived a perfect life, not because you are righteous, but because he's assigned the righteousness of Christ to your account. And all that's yours when through faith you believe. I don't know about you, but that's good news. That's exciting news. It's such exciting news. A proper understanding of this reality lead to some natural questions. And Paul anticipates those. And so the thinking is, man, if I'm forgiven... If this is true, I've been forgiven, past, present, and future. If I'm clothed, if, if, the, if keeping rules in, in this world don't really matter to my right standing with God because I'm clothed in a righteousness, not my own, I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and all that's mine when through faith I believe, if that's true, then why does it matter how I live? Why don't I just do what feels good whenever it feels good, do what I want, when I want, how I want? And that's the logical question. And Paul is anticipating that question. And so, so this is how Romans chapter 6 is broken down. He's addressing that question. So Romans 6, 1 and Romans 6, 15, it basically addresses the same thing. And so, so let's pull it up here on the screen. Romans 6, 1 says this. Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? And so Paul says where, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Like, like where sin was, was bountiful, grace was even greater. And he said, that's awesome. And so if that's the case, why does it matter how you live? Romans 6, 15, here's the second part, same question. Are we, are we to sin because, because we're not under law, but we're under grace? And so like, if it's not about keeping the rules, then, then why should I try to live this holy, holy life? Which is a logical question. And Paul responds to those two questions in the same way in both places. It's an emphatic No. Look at it, Romans 2 and Romans 6.15, by no means, by no means, by no means. It's like, God forbid, it, like he interrupts that thought away with that thought. Don't even think that way. It's no, no, double no on Paul's part. And this is what breaks down the chapter 6 of, of Romans. Same answer in both places. Paul's saying that when we really understand justification, and when someone understands what God has done for them, it does not create Christians who feel like they have the green light to sin. Rather, justification creates Christians who are dead to sin. They're dead to sin. If a person is looking for ways to keep on sinning after they become a Christian, then the good question is, were they ever a Christian in the first place? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't work like that. Though the Holy Spirit works in us to make us more and more like Jesus, not opposite of that. So let's look into uh, to the verses for the day. Romans 6, uh, chapter 6, verse 15 through 19. Uh, let's go ahead and stand up. Let's stretch out the legs and stand in honor of God's word. Uh, if you're in a coffee shop or driving, don't stand up. That would be, <laughs> that'd be bad news for us in the room. We're standing in honor of God's word. Here it is. Romans 6, uh, 15 says, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey them as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or slaves to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness." 
I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your bodies in slavery to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness that leads to holiness. This is the word of the Lord to us today. So, Father, we thank you for your word. And, God, we pray that you would speak to us through your word, God, that you would give us tender hearts, good soil in our hearts to receive your word, that, God, you would open our minds to truth, and that, God, you would help us not just to attain it, but, God, you'd help us to apply it and live from a posture of life that we reckon ourselves dead to sin, but alive to you, Jesus, that we might be of kingdom purposes, of eternal significance here in this, this world that we live for a short period of time. I pray, God, for the strengthening of your church, for the glory of your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, why don't you give someone a high five and say you've been set free to serve. If you're online, maybe put in the chat, you're set free to serve. Set free to serve. All right, let's jump in. Here we go. Romans six fifteen. Uh, Paul's going to say this. There's the question again. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? So again, Paul asks the same question that he started the chapter with. And again, he's going to say emphatically no. And now we're going, he's not only just going to tell us that we shouldn't do it, but he's going to tell us why we shouldn't do it. He's going to give us three contrasts in the remainder of chapter six, three contrasts of why we should reckon ourselves dead to sin. Here's the first contrast. He's going to say, hey, you should reckon yourself, should live as though you're dead to sin because there's a contrast. You can live under law or you can live under grace. And here's the good news. You're free to choose. It's like the flight. You're free to roam about the cabin. Now, now here, here's the deal. You can choose to live under law, which is going to lead to death, or you can live under grace, which is going to lead to life, but you get to choose because you have that choice now that you're a follower of Jesus. Second contrast he's going to make is you can live as a slave to sin, or you can live as a slave to righteousness, and you get to choose. And then the third contrast we're going to look at next week, he's going to look at, hey, there's a result of sin. There's a wage of sin. There's a consequence of sin, but there's also a gift. And it's a gift of God. And you can choose which one you're going to embrace and experience in your own life. So three contrasts Paul's going to make in Romans chapter 6. Here's the first contrast. We can choose to live under law or we can choose to live under grace. And here's the principle behind that contrast. A Christian, and this is where if you're taking notes, this is where they begin. For those of you online, those of you here in the room, here it is. Here's the principle. A Christian will seek to avoid sin because they are under grace. A Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you'll seek to avoid sin because you're under grace. Being under grace does not make a person want to sin more. Uh, to, to understand what God has rescued you from, they, they understand that, that they were once under this reign of sin that resulted in death, but now they're under this reign of grace that results in life. And they're saying, I don't want to go back to that old way of life. I know what you've rescued me from, and I'm not, I don't want to go back there. Romans 6.15, again, it, it makes this, this statement, you can live under law, or you can live under grace. But, but what then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but we're under grace? And this is unique because this, this word under grace, it's only used two times in the New Testament. It's used in Romans 6.14 and then here again in Romans 6.15, under grace. We're under grace. But this, this phrase under law is used repeatedly throughout the New Testament. Paul uses it over and over and over again in his in his writings. And under law means that, and this is important for us to understand, that, that there's a a posture that people can take in the relationship with God that's under law. In other words, they, they have to strive to do these things 
to result in them having right standing with, with God. They're, they're, they're striving to earn that. It's, it's what they can bring to the table. And so what does it mean to be under law? Galatians 6, 4, verses 4 through 5 says this, but when the fullness of time came, this is often like shared at Christmas time, but, but here's, here's what it says. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So this gives us some important information. Whatever it means to be under law is significant. It's so significant that it required the son of God to leave the glory of heaven to rescue, to redeem those of us who were, who were under that same law. He was born under law and he was sent to, to rescue us. So whatever it is, the stakes are very high. It, it requires a, a, a rescuer to help us in this condition of being under, under law. And Jesus obviously didn't have any problem being under law. He, he, he kept the perfect law. He, he was the perfect sacrifice. Why? Because he never sinned. Like he 100% kept the law flawlessly. And that's what makes him the all-sufficient savior. If you're taking notes, here's what it means. Under law, here's a definition. Under law is keeping rules so you can be made right in God's sight. Keeping rules. Rules. It's a rules-based relationship. And if we view God's law as means of giving us right standing with God, then, then we just need to know, like, we're, we're under law. Under law. And if you say, man, I, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but not only that, I do this, this, and this, and this, so I know I'm right with him. Well, that, that's, that's, that's maybe, might consider maybe that's under law. Or you say, man, I, I feel really close to God, but then I did this, this, and this, and now I feel like God's, I think he's mad at me. Well, maybe you're, you're filtering your relationship, your right standing with God based on your performance, your ability to keep rules, and not based on great grace alone. Here's a little backstory of Galatians. Uh, Paul went to Galatia, started this church, preached the gospel. People, people got saved. People got baptized. Like, it was awesome. They're on fire for Jesus. And then, like, some other teacher came in. And they're like, yeah, you accepted Jesus. That's awesome. But you also, if you're a dude, you need to be circumcised. And they're like, wait, what? Like, like they listened to a new YouTube video. And it was like, yeah, Jesus is awesome. But you also need to do this, 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 and this. In our, and we don't, you know, in a modern day church, like part of our membership class, like we don't make you check a box. Yeah, I've been circumcised. All right, prove it. No, we're, we're not that. We're not those people. We're not those people. But in a modern day church, here's what this can look like. It can look like, hey, you accepted Jesus. That's awesome. Uh, but how, how are you doing? Like how much time do you spend praying today? How much, where are you at in your reading plan? Hey, hey, where are you at? Have you joined a small group yet? How many, how many hours are you serving a week? Hey, have you, have you entrusted 10% of your income back to God through the local church? Are you doing those things? And if you are, then you feel really close to God. If you're not, then you feel like maybe God's, maybe God's not happy with me. Maybe God's, God's mad at me. And I would suggest all those things are very biblical. All those things are good. And should be practiced by believers. But we do those things because we have right standing with God and we trust him. We do not do those things so we can achieve right standing with God because we think he's mad at us. There's a very big difference there. It's like two degrees this way, but it's astronomical, the ramifications of that mindset. And so, so Paul is addressing this idea of, of work, the, under, being under law to, yes, Jesus, but there's all these things you got to do on top of that. Galatians 5, 
2 through 4, he says, look, I, Paul, say, if you accept circumcision, if you accept, yeah, Jesus, but you have to do all these other things, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again that every man who accepts circumcision, he's obligated to keep the whole law. Like not just this part, not just, not just circumcision. Now you got to do, there's over 160 laws you got to keep. And you are severed from Christ because you think you can do it on your own. Or you think you need to supplement the righteousness of Christ with your own righteousness. And if that's where you're at, you're severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. If you're going to make keeping certain laws part of a way that you're right with God, then you're obligated to keep the whole law. If you're, you're providing part of your righteousness before God and, and then Jesus is providing this part of the righteousness, then it's like Christ is of no value to you. He's going to say this again, Galatians 6, 2. Look, I, Paul, say that if you accept circumcision, Christ is of a no advantage. Like Jesus isn't to supplement your righteousness. He is all of it. He's all of it or he's none of it. That's what Paul's saying. Galatians 2, 21. I do not nullify the grace of God for if justification through the law, in other words, if my right standing with God could come through me keeping a bunch of rules, if that's even possible, then Jesus died for no purpose because you could do it on your own. But the reality is I could never do it on my own. You could never do it on your own. We've blown it. We've gloriously blown it. And not just one, a whole bunch of them. And we're in desperate need of a savior. So under law is keeping rules so you can be righteous in God's sight. And if, if you ask someone, hey, do you know if you're going to heaven when you die? And they say, yeah, here's, I think I am. Because I am a good person. I think I will go to heaven when I die because I am a member of that church. I even attend Central Christian Church sometimes, which is obviously God's favorite church. No. Uh, I mean, I, I, I was a part of that protest against that injustice. I gave some money to that cause. And they list all these things that they've done. And if that's the response, then maybe, maybe that's still under, under law. Here's what under grace means. Under grace if you're taking notes, this is another part of that. Under grace, all my righteousness. You might circle that word all. All my righteousness comes from, as a gift, from Christ. All of it. I'm not earning it. There's nothing I could do to deserve it. But Jesus, in light of all you've done, man, I just give you my life. It's a proper response to radical grace. All my righteousness is from you. Romans 6.15. What then? Are we to continue in sin? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but we're under grace? So if I'm relying on, on any, any rules, I'm, I'm keeping rules to be made right with God, then if that doesn't give me right relationship with God, then why does this matter? Why, why, do, why not just sin, do whatever I want to, when I want to, how I want to, where I want to? And Paul's going to say, because you're under grace. Because you're under grace. Romans 6.14, for sin will have no dominion over you. For you are not under law, but you are under grace. You're under grace. This is not a command. This is a promise. You're under grace. Therefore, live like you're under grace. And so this almost seems like a juxtaposition. It seems like it doesn't really make sense. So look at it, Romans 6.12 He's going to say, say, let not sin reign in your mortal bodies. So, so you have a choice not to let sin reign in your mortal bodies. And he's going to say this in 614, for sin will have no dominion over you. 
And so what is that? It seems like this paradox of these two verses. On one hand, you're told not to let sin rule you. On the other hand, he says sin will not rule you. So what's Paul saying? He's saying don't let sin rule you because sin is not going to rule you. He gives the command, but then he gives you the the ability, the power, the authority to respond to that. That's grace. He gives you the, here's what I need you to do, and I'm going to empower you to go live it out. God gives the command and then gives us the power to make it a reality. If you've experienced God's grace, if I've been delivered from the dominion, the reign of sin that leads to death, and delivered into this reign of grace, then then I'm, I'm dead to sin and I'm alive to Christ. But now there's this internal struggle, right? There's still this, on one hand, I'm dead to sin, but on the other hand, sin's not dead to me. And I know sin desires to rule me. I know sin desires to have authority over my life. And, I, and so if I don't check sin, sin's going to check me. If I give sin an inch, it's going to take a mile. And so I have this choice under grace. I, I've been given the authority to say no to sin. I've been given authority to say, say no to temptation, uh, to overcome every temptation in my life that leads to death. That's what Paul's saying. So when we're tempted to sin, we can say no to sin because God's given us the power, power and authority to overcome sin. And now I'm, not saying, I'm not saying no to sin so I can be righteous. I'm, I'm saying no to sin because I already am righteous and God's grace is working in me. So Romans 3 through 5, Paul talks about justification. You've been forgiven, past, present, future. You've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. All that's yours went through faith you believe. Romans 6 through 7, he's talking about sanctification, this process of, of us aligning our life to Christ. We're looking at the life of Jesus. We're looking at our life and saying, man, I still got some stuff I need to work on. Jesus, I'm going to try to apply your word to my life in that way. And then, then Paul's going to talk to us about glorification, where for all of heaven, we get to enjoy a glorified Savior with a glorified body, no more aches and pains, free from sin. And at the end of all that, at the pinnacle of that, the crescendo of that, the climax of that, Romans 8, 30 through 31, Paul says, then, 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 then those who he's called, he's also justified. Those he's justified, he's also glorified. What then shall we say about these amazing things? In light of all those things, in light of your salvation experience, in light of all these done, what, what's the response to that? If God's for us, who can be against us? Listen, he's for you. But, but, but understanding, living under grace comes to this realization. You know what? God, I'm not, I'm not striving to, to, to make sure that you're for me. No, because you are for me, I will fight this battle with sin. The second you surrender to Jesus... You're justified. God's like, that's my son. That's my daughter. That's the one I've forgiven. That's, that's the one Christ laid down his life for. That's the one, that's the one I've, I've clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's the one, that's the one I'm, in, I'm launching on this sanctification process. That's the one I'm going to be in heaven with forever. That's the one. That's the one. Not only that, but that's the one I will glorify. And it's very important for you to remember that in your battle with sin. We're not fighting for victory we're fighting from victory. We're not fighting sin so we can have right standing with God. We're fighting sin in right standing with God. We're not, we're not fighting sin so God will be for us. God is for us. He is helping us. He is empowering us. He is, his grace is at work in us. He has equipped you with everything you need to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. And that's exciting news. 
So the first contrast Paul gave us is this contrast of, of living life under the law or under grace. And the principle we've discovered is that a Christian will seek to avoid sin because they're under grace. The second contrast that Paul's going to give us is the contrast of, of a slave to sin versus a slave to righteousness. And you get to choose. Here's the principle. A Christian will seek to avoid sin because they're a slave to righteousness. They'll seek to avoid sin because they're a slave to righteousness. And as we move through the remainder of Romans chapter 6, it's going to become increasingly clear that even though we're justified as believers, we still battle with sin. And we have a responsibility to resist sin in our life. And as we go through Romans chapter 6, verse 16 through 19, this, this next section of Scripture, Paul's going to use slavery as an illustration of a relationship to sin and our choice to serve God. And invariably, especially in our American context, uh, when, we, when we begin to, to think about slavery, we see corollaries to slavery in context of America's history, uh, which is one of the most tragic stains on American history. And so I think it's necessary for us to have a sensitivity uh, and an awareness to that topic, to that issue that's both appropriate and, and necessary. We often think of slavery in context of someone who has, uh, has to obey against their own will. And that's not the type of relationship that God has for you. Uh, that's not the type of relationship that God wants for you. Paul's going to say like, hey, you get a choice to serve. You can choose to be a slave or a servant to sin or a servant to righteousness. Uh, the, in, the, the, new King, or the King James Version rather uses that word servant instead of of slaves. So just to, to frame it up in that way, this is referring to a different, Paul's not talking about slavery in, in the way that we often view, view slavery. So here it is, Romans 6, uh, verse 16. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So in other words, now that you're justified, you're, you're a Christian, you have a choice whom you're going to serve. Here's what you would need to know too. Like, like unbelievers, people who are not followers of Jesus, they don't have a choice. Like, like, like the Bible talks about how they're, they're under the control of, of the kingdom of the power of the air. Like Satan's blinded their minds to the truth. They're, they're slaves, slaves to sin. But, but part of your salvation experience that Paul's going to lay out, is laying out for us now, is you don't have to. You're free to serve. You're, you're free to choose who you're going to serve. And, and Paul appealed to a familiar principle. You're a slave to the one whom you serve. People are either a slave to sin, which results in death, or slaves to righteousness that results in life. But you need to know that the choice is yours. Here's what Jesus said, uh, John 10.10. 10. He says, the thief, talking about, about the devil, the, here's what the, the devil comes to do, to steal, kill, and destroy. This is an image of what sin does. Sin distorts, sin corrupts, sin destroys, sin unravels, sin, sin, sin disfigures. This is what sin does. It steals, kills, and destroys. And there's an opportunity for you to live under that rule, that reign. That's a choice. But now you have another choice because you're a follower of Jesus. Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. And I hope you choose that one. It's a choice. He's given the power and the authority to overcome sin, but he's also given the power and authority to walk in a new way of life. Here's what Jesus says again, John 8, 31. To the Jews who believed on him, Jesus said, I, if you hold to my 
speaking. So that's important uh, to not just understand God's word, but like we're going to hold to it. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna think about it. We're going to marinate on it. We're going to apply it to our lives. If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciple. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's the good news. But the people who are there, they answer, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves to anyone. How can, we, how can you say you're going to set us free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. You are free to serve because of what Jesus has done for you. He's come to set you free. So you don't have to live under the dominion of sin, the reign of sin in your life any longer. You can live in freedom. The good news is because you're under grace, you get to choose who you serve. If the son sets you free, you're free Indeed, you're set free to serve. Romans 6, 17 through 18 says, But thanks be to God that though you were once slaves to sin, you've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. This, the, the NIV here says, Since you've, you've wholeheartedly committed to the standard of teaching to which you were entrusted. Uh, committing to the standard of teaching to which you were entrusted is really a simple definition of what sanctification even means. Most scholars say that this, this phrase, to which you were committed, the standard of teaching to which you were committed, is this image of like a mold. And so there's the old you, the old self, who, who used to fit into this mold. You're chasing after everything that the world chases after, and you fit nicely into that mold. The only thing is that mold distorts you, that, that mold corrupts you, that that mold makes you into an image that you were never created to form to. But, but here's the good news. Whenever you come to Christ, he, he has a new mold for you. And the mold is the image of his son, and he melts you down by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he pours you into that mold, and you come out a different person. And here's what he does. He holds you up. It's like this candelabra that's been melted down, poured into a different mold, made into something totally different. And then he takes it out of the mold. If you've ever taken anything out of the mold, you know there's like those edges along the side. And he holds you up to the image of Christ. And he says, yeah, I see John. And yeah, he's, he's getting close, but there's some things I need to rub down. I see Bill, but there's still some things I need to polish out. I, I see Tim, and man, there's still some attitude I need to, I need to massage out. Right, and, and, and all of it, he's making you into something new. And it's the image of his son, and he's committed to that process. And so some people are like, man, this seems like I'm going through the fire. That's the point. He's making it into something new. That's why over and over Paul talks about rejoice when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because God's doing a work in you that the good times just don't produce. He's polishing some rough edges off of you that, 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 that simply are not comfortable in the midst of. He's making you new. Remember 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Remember John 3, 3, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. The stakes are pretty high at this, actually. Unless your life's totally changed. It's like where people say, man, that's a different person. That dude's different. That girl, man, I don't know what happened, but she's changed. How does that happen? Well, first, there's justification. 
It happens the moment you're saved. You, you get access to the throne of God because your sins are forgiven. You're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. All that's yours through faith, through belief. Now you have access to get help where help is needed. You can have a relationship with God. It's a beautiful thing. That's the first step. Second part of that process is sanctification, where, where, you, where you become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Sanctification. I, Jesus, I see this in your word, and God, I'm not just going to know it in my head. I'm going to apply it to my life. And as you do, it changes you wonderfully, gloriously. This is where you come alive in Christ. And what's the result? You no longer look like the life you once lived. A life dominated by sin, a life distorted by sin, a life corrupted by sin, a life destroyed by sin. You say, man, the old's gone, the new has come. God, make me a new person. And when people see you through that process, they say, man, I see Melissa, but man, she looks different. I see Matt, but I think that's him, but it seems like a different dude. Man, I see Mario, but like, he doesn't talk like Mario used to. I see Roger, but man, he's not responding in that situation like, like he used to. I, I, I see Stephanie, but man, something's different about her. And all that's yours through this salvation experience. This is a taste of what Paul's going to talk to us about in Romans 12 too. Don't conform. Don't, don't, don't fit into the mold. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Allow him to do a deep work in you. And I could I just ask, don't you want that? Especially if you've been broken by sin, why would you want to go back to that life again? If you've been, been corrupted by sin, you know the, the shameful, the, the things that took place in your life, and you're like, I don't want to talk to anybody about that. Well, why would we go back to that? Why wouldn't we want to be the people he created us to be? And that's the process Paul's talking about. And he's given us a roadmap for that. Here it is, Romans 6, 19. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your, your natural limitations. For just as you once presented the members of your body to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more and more lawlessness. What's he talking about? He's talking about the members of your body. We used to, these hands used to be used for something very different. My mind was used for something very different. My feet took me to places that I don't ever want to go back to. And as I presented those members to that lifestyle, he's saying in the same way, now present yourselves, present your members, present your body as slaves to righteousness. And here's the result, leading to sanctification. There's our word, sanctification. It results in something, sanctification. What's sanctification? That's like a, a $5 theological word. Hey, here it is, sanctification. This is our working definition we're going to continue off of for the next couple of weeks. Sanctification is the process whereby the believer becomes more and more like Jesus. In other words, holy, different, different mold, set apart. The process where the believer becomes more and more like Jesus as a result of God's work in them and their obedience to his word. And that's a choice. You can allow the Holy Spirit to do a deep work in your heart. You can choose to be obedient to God's word. You're free to serve and you get to choose. He says, but now, verse 22, you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The fruit, what's the result of that? The fruit of that leads to sanctification. And what's the fruit of sanctification? That end leads to eternal life, eternal life. And eternal life is not just a quality of time. 
You, you need to know this. Every man, woman, boy, and girl, you will live forever. It's not just a quantity of time. Eternal life is not just a quantity of time. When the Bible talks about eternal life, it's talking about a quality of existence. You will live forever. You'll live forever in heaven or you'll live forever in hell. That's what the Bible just straight up says. But there's a quality of life in heaven forever. There's a quality of life here on earth that is eternal life and you could experience eternal life today. You remember John 17, 3, Jesus said, now this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's this, this quality of life that's based on this relationship with Jesus. If you say, man, my quality of life isn't where I want it to be. You say, man, I, I hear the Bible talk about life to the fullest, and I just don't know if that's my experience. I know Jesus said, I've, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly, but I'm not sure, not sure that's even my reality. Then I would suggest that maybe you're not practicing the second part of the salvation experience where you come to Jesus and you say, God, here's my life. All that I am, my thoughts, my words, my hands, my feet, everything I am, God, I want to be used for your purposes. I'm all in. Whatever you have for me, I'm on. God, I want my thoughts in alignment with your thoughts. I want my words to be the words you would say in that situation. I want my attitude to reflect that of Christ Jesus. And I'm just saying, when you do, you'll come alive like you never have before. He'll change you in ways you never thought possible. When I heard a message like that years ago, I thought, that's the biggest buzzkill I've ever heard. Like, I don't, you can have that because I'm doing this. And then when I hit rock bottom, I was like, I don't have any other choice. I'm at the end of my rope. And by the way, God does his best work at the end of a rope. And I said, God, if you want this life of mine, it's broken, it's messed up, but you can have it. And I started applying God's word to my life. And that which I thought was a buzzkill brought life. It brought freedom that I'd never experienced before. And if you're not on that journey yet, I'm just saying God has more for you. It's where the abundant life is found. So here's sanctification, and we're going to close. Sanctification is the process whereby the believer becomes more and more like Jesus as a result of God's work in them and their obedience to God's word. Remember this. We're going to go here next week and look at Romans 6.22. But, but, but now that you've been freed from sin and have become slaves, servants of God. God, here's my life, whatever you want, I'm in. The fruit of that, the result of that leads to sanctification. This process of saying, God, whatever your word says, I'm in, I'm on, I'm doing it. And that end, the result of that is eternal life. And you can experience that this week. You don't have to be a slave to sin that leads to death. You can be a servant of God and experience the abundant life he offers you. But whether you choose that or you choose to live under the reign of sin, you would just need to know this truth. You are set free to serve. Let's pray.